Well, good morning. I feel like uh, I should have done last week's sermon today and talked about how uh, Stephen's face shone. So I think I found the sun yesterday, as many of you did, and was my skin is not prepared for that. I am a pale-faced young man, so uh, I feel like my, my neck too. So if, if I don't look at you guys, it's because I can't turn my head because it rubs the back of my collar. But what a what a good problem to have. It was very beautiful day yesterday, and I hope you were able to enjoy it. So life, do you see your life? And what you do as purposeful. Not talking about what you have done in the past. I mean, today, right now, do you see your life as purposeful? What you do each day and what you have planned for tomorrow. With all that's happening and and going on around our planet, between nations, it's easy to perceive our individual selves as insignificant. And in the process, I think we get lost in what we interpret as the minutia of our personal existence. And so there's this thing called six degrees of separation. Maybe you've heard of it. You need to Google it because I think if it still stands, Kevin Bacon, the actor Kevin Bacon, is like the one person that everybody on the planet can connect to within six degrees. What it is is you you identify somebody that everybody can connect to with, with six steps or less, six connections or less, six relationship crossroads or less. And so six degrees of separation is we are connected to every other individual in some manner possible. So this means that the world is a lot smaller than we may think it is. Sometimes we get lost in the bigness of the world, but maybe who we are and what we do means a lot more to more people than we actually realize. And so we pause and we see how interconnected we are and we realize that it's not impossible to have a ripple effect on other people far beyond our even knowing it or even realizing it. And so while we may never know what effect our life has on others, it does not mean that the effect that we have is insignificant. And so we need to pay special attention to how our lives interact with others, how we're interconnected, and how we overlap. We need to be purposeful. We're in Acts. This study that we're doing here, Steve, we're still in Acts. So in Acts chapter 2, we witnessed the beginning of this thing Jesus called His church, my church. And so yet after a couple of years, it seems like that the church had still not embraced its global mission. It still seems pretty centrally located. And so uh, the, because of fear, opposition, uh, religious tradition, racism, all of this contributed to why this, this stagnation seems to be setting into the church. But Christianity is a converting religion. It's religion of conversion. And if the message of Jesus is true, it's true for everyone and it's true for anyone. And so Jesus did not tell the world to go to church. Jesus told His church to go into the world. And so the world already had religion, but Jesus told His disciples, you go into this world to countries and to nations who already have their own religion, their own gods that they worship, and you convince them to worship Me and to worship My Father. And so that's the mission. The church is not a community that supports missionaries. The church is a missionary community. And so all of us who follow Jesus have been commissioned with this message of unlimited salvation. And we've been entrusted to share that with other people. And so Jesus is going to take this boulder, a man named Saul, and He's going to drop it into this church. And this message of Jesus is going to be spread. 
But see, Saul didn't think the message of Jesus should be spread. He thought it was a virus that needed to be extinguished. And so Jesus is going to drop in into the quiet waters of this church community and the ripple effects of this one man and the action that Christ took and had on his life. We still feel that today, even here in North Little Rock, Arkansas in 2018. And so in chapter 7, you've got these Jewish powers who became so angry at this disciple named Stephen who was preaching Jesus that they had him put to death. And so they took him out and they stoned him to death. And Saul was approving of this. He was standing by approving. And Saul thought, you know, we ought to go farther than this. This is one dude. We ought to go farther than this. And so in Acts chapter 9, we'll pick it up today. And beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, this is meanwhile after Stephen's death. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out threats to murder the Lord's disciples, went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, as it was known, either men or women, he could bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he was going along, approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so he said, who are you, Lord? And he replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But stand up and enter the city and you will be told what you must do. And so I want us to think about this that we've probably read over time and time again. Jesus does not call His church an it. Jesus calls His church a me. Not why are you persecuting it? Why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul didn't think he was persecuting. He thought Jesus is dead. He didn't, they couldn't find Jesus. He didn't think he was persecuting him. He thought he was persecuting this people. Jesus says, no, you're not persecuting them. You're persecuting me, which is us. And so he calls this church a me. And the church is not full of individuals. We are the body of Christ. We are connected. We're united. We are joined by this one Spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you say, yeah, but the church is flawed. And the church can kind of be embarrassing. Yeah, it can. We can, as people, as individuals sometimes, and yet Jesus identifies with flawed, embarrassing individuals like you and like me. Because Jesus loves His church. And so when you attack, and when you criticize, and when you slander, and when you assault the church, Jesus doesn't say you're doing it to it. He doesn't say you're doing it to them. He says you're doing it to me. Brethren, we need to think about that when we talk about brothers and sisters in a way that's derogatory, in a way that's unloving. We're not doing it to them. We're doing it to Jesus Christ. We've got to think about that. So Saul would say, you know, but I thought it was the right thing to do. And Saul was absolutely sincere in what he was doing. And he was also sincerely wrong in what he was doing. and so, But he had his doubts. He would later talk about this, how he had these doubts. His testimony he would give. And he says, I was kicking against the goads. And so a goad was like a pointed stick that they would have when they were had oxen, stubborn oxen out in the field. And so when the, the oxen would kick, trying to kick away the, the person who was trying to, to prod them to move and to work, the oxen would kick and, and his leg would hit that, that pointed stick, that goad, and it would hurt. It would inflict pain. And so Saul said, I, that was me. That was me. God was trying to, to push me in a direction and I was kicking against the goads. His goad. His leading. And so 
Paul was saying, I had some issues in my conscience. I felt this. I didn't know what to do with it. No one tried harder than me, Paul said, to, to keep all of God's rules. And yet I couldn't do it. And I struggled with stories I heard about Jesus doing things that I could not complain. And I watched people and how they reacted even when I arrested them. And I watched this man, Stephen. I watched him on his knees as the, before the last stone struck his head and killed him, he looked up in heaven and said, forgive them for what they're doing because they don't know. And so Paul wrestles with this. And he says, this was all in my head giving me problems. I was kicking against the goads. But there's one thing that my faith and my future could not get past. A dead Messiah. See, Paul couldn't reconcile himself with seeing this Jesus, this man who proclaimed himself the Christ, that all these people said was the Son of God, that, that he was dead on a cross. Paul couldn't get past that. And so the most skeptical, Paul, this great Pharisee, Paul had to go blind in order to see the truth. And so the truth is that salvation can reach anyone. And the most skeptical, the most hard-hearted persecutor, this man Saul, Paul is his Greek name. And so we, we talk about perseverance of the saints, but we need to talk about the perseverance of God. <laughs> you talk about somebody who has perseverance. That's God who refuses to give up on anyone, which is why you and I are still here today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul would later write, in his teaching, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But here is why I was treated with mercy, so that in me, as the worst, Christ Jesus could demonstrate His utmost patience as an example for those who are going to believe in Him for eternal life. And so salvation is all about God. We don't find God. God finds us. And we don't get God's attention because we're so good. God got our attention because He's so good. That God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So from start to finish, salvation is a work of God. The problem is not that God has limited who can be reached. The problem is we have. We limit that. We limit it in our mind. Who, who have you put off limits? Who in your life have you put off limits because of their past? Or because of their reputation? Maybe because of their issues that they have. Her issues. His issues. Are we limiting salvation to only people who we think might be interested? But the greater the rebellion, as Paul shows us, the greater the rebellion, the greater the impact of redemption. And so... He came to arrest the followers of Jesus and He got arrested by Jesus. And so perhaps our view of grace is more limited than Jesus' willingness to extend it. So Luke goes on. Now, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias! And he replied, Here am I, Lord. Then the Lord told him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at Judah's house, look for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and place his hands on him so that he may see again. But Ananias replied, Lord, 
I've heard from I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to imprison all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, because this man is my chosen instrument, my vessel, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And think about how cool it is for Ananias right now. Ananias to have this relationship, this moment here with, with Jesus, that Jesus could just speak to him and Ananias could have this conversation. Ananias didn't just, he didn't freak out. He just said, yes, Lord. Go ahead, Lord, I'm listening. Think about that. Think about what was going on here. Ananias, yes, Lord. I got a job for you. Yes, Lord. I need you to go to, to a man's house. I need you to go to Straight Street. Yes, Lord. I, I know where that is. I know the area. I need you to go to a man's house there. Judas, find his house. I've heard of Judas. Judas is a good dude. He's got a guest there named Saul from Tarsus. Yes, Lord? <laughs> Wheels start turning here. Okay, you got it? Yes, cross town, Straight Street, Judas' house, Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Saul of... Saul of Tar... Hey, Lord! <laughs> you ever done that with God? Have you, have you ever had a moment in your life when you feel like you need to remind God of something that you think He has forgotten? Uh, God, have you, ever, have you ever thought this? Have you thought this through? That's what was going on here. And so Ananias was like, Jesus, I need to tell you about Saul's past. Let me tell you about this man. And Jesus says, no, Ananias, I need to tell you about his future. Because you're not the only one I'd send a vision to. So Saul's having this vision right now that you are in his vision. And I know you came to Damascus. I know Saul came to Damascus to lay hands on you, but I'm sending you to lay hands on him and you're going to pray for this man. And Ananias got up and he walked into the room with the very last person he ever wanted to meet. Ever. Why? Because the salvation of Jesus can unite anybody. And so Ananias departed and he entered the house and he placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Two words that he never thought were going to come out of his mouth. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. And when Ananias said, Brother Saul, the ripple effect of those words are going to propel the church into the next phase of its existence. And so Ananias' own eyes were open to this extremity of the grace of God. And we live in such a, a fractured world, a world that's so disjointed. If we're good at anything, we're really good at division, <laughs> we're good at separating. We're good at drawing lines. We're good at dividing over politics. We divide over class. We divide over gender. We divide, certainly we divide over race. And yet we see in Acts the one thing that can bring people together. People who may have never wanted to be together. The fact that we all need salvation and we can all find it in one person. And that's Jesus Christ. And I want to be reminded that I'm not going to meet one single person this week who does not need the grace of God. And I am not going to meet one person this week who's going to need the grace of God more than I need it. 
And that truth transcends anything that I could see about them that makes us different. And so our common life in Jesus changes closed minds to open minds. In verse 26, when He arrived in Jerusalem, He attempted to associate with the disciples. This is Saul. And they were all afraid of Him because they did not believe that He was a disciple. And so when Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles and related to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he was staying with them, associating openly with them in Jerusalem and speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. They didn't want to be around this guy. Instead of a bridge, they wanted to build a wall. Separation. Until Barnabas said, no, look guys, he met Jesus. He, he teaches Jesus. I've heard Him teach it. He loves Jesus. And that made all the difference. And what changed closed minds into open arms was this common affection and this common commitment to Jesus Christ. See, our future with Jesus changes anything in our past that has divided us. Jesus unites everyone. And grace really is that amazing. And this grace that Ananias brought to Saul is grace that Paul is going to take to the rest of the world. And so he says, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and before kings. And so the sons of Abraham should have remembered what God said to Abraham through your seed, through your lineage, through your descendants. I'm going to bless whom? All nations. They should have remembered that. They should have remembered Jesus said, I send you where? Into all the world. That's to every ethnic group to make disciples. And they should have recalled before He ascended, He said, you will be My witnesses where? To the ends of the earth. But for the first several years, the church didn't really go anywhere. They couldn't wrap their head around this idea that Jesus actually wants them to go to other kinds of people. People with different hair. People with different clothes. People would listen to different kinds of music. People who do not yet believe in God. People who have a different worldview. That God really does want His disciples to go to those people. And it took divine prodding to get them to see that salvation can reach people anywhere and everywhere. He is my instrument, Jesus said, which literally means He is my jar. He is my vessel. And so Paul would understand this as he later wrote. We read this earlier in 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in clay jars. This treasure is contained in, in a clay vessel so that the extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. See, we're dusty. <laughs> and we're heavy and we're cracked. <laughs> but we hold a treasure. We hold this treasure. And God has His own plan to, to, to ship His jars all over the world. His treasure all over the world. And is there a nation where God does not want His jars to go? Is there a people whom God does not want to, 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 to come in contact with His jars, His chosen vessels? Is there a people group in the world that is off limits to the mission of God? Is there a neighbor on your street who is off limits to what you know about Jesus Christ? Is there a co-worker at your job who is off limits to what you understand about salvation in Jesus Christ? Is there an obnoxious kid at your school 
a classmate who is off who is off limits in your life. Voice of the Martyrs is a organization that serves persecuted Christians, and they tell of a man who lived in a nation considered one of the most hostile to Christianity. It's a largely Muslim nation, and the church is underground, but it's growing rapidly. And so when a Muslim confesses Jesus as Christ, they're asked to write on a piece of paper every person they know who does not follow Jesus. Well, that's almost every person that they know, literally. And so then they're asked, you circle the top ten people on that list least likely to kill you if you mention Jesus Christ. And that's where they start. That's why the church is growing so rapidly underground there. God shared a vision with a man named John who saw a throne. He wrote about this in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. After these things I looked, and here was an enormous crowd that no one could count, made up of persons from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in long white robes, and with palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And God is not in heaven right now thinking, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have shown that to John. What was I thinking? Because they can't do it. It's too big of a dream. I was thinking too big for them. God is not embarrassed. By His vision. He's not regretting what He said. God wants us to see what He sees. That every tribe, every race, every color, every tongue is going to bow to the throne. Bow to the Lamb. We cannot limit the mission of God by our biases. We cannot limit the mission of God by our ethnic or our national pride. We cannot limit the mission of God by our prejudices. And we must not allow our biases and prejudices of other people to limit our obedience. Because some people are never going to see the mission of God. They're not. Because narrow is the way. Verse 20, At once He began to preach in the synagogues. Saul did that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard Him were astonished. And they asked, Isn't He the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on His name? And hasn't He come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And this will be his life. Saul will spend the rest of his life trying not to be killed until finally he is. Bouncing from prison to prison, beating to beating. And later in chapter 9, he goes to Jerusalem, and they try to kill him there too. He's been a Christian for just a few weeks, and before the chapter is over, people try to kill him twice. (laughs) Ain't it great to be a Christian? Yes, it is. But there's also realness to being a Christian. Thousands of people are martyred every year for Jesus Christ. But that is just Satan's way of trying to destroy the evidence. (laughs) But the salvation of Jesus can endure anything. And we don't normally put the words chosen and suffer together, right? We don't choose to suffer in our lives usually. He's my chosen instrument. I will show Him how much He will suffer. But Paul came to realize that a gospel that costs you nothing 
cannot have unlimited impact in your world. And if obedience to Jesus costs you nothing, then your influence, your impact as a disciple is limited. It's limited. Paul said we are jars. And it goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 8, we are experiencing trouble on every side, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're knocked down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our body. And this message of of Jesus is rarely taken serious from people who can only talk about their triumphs and not the hardship of being faithful to Jesus Christ. Because that's real life. Real life is it is hard to be obedient to Jesus Christ in the world that we live in. It always has been. And that's real. But people will listen to the reality that if you are following Jesus, if I have given Him my life, it's not always easy, but Jesus has given me a joy and a pain that cancer or loss cannot rob. It's not always easy, but Jesus has given me a hope that even death cannot steal. It's not always easy, but Jesus has given me a purpose for life that opposition and misunderstanding cannot and will not deter. And a message like that can have ripple effects that can go anywhere and can reach anybody. And so Paul was willing to go through anything so that the Gospel could go through him. And you and I are here today because Paul would not quit. He was the voice to the Gentiles. See, the the ripples, we are the ripples that He created, unless I'm mistaken. I believe we're pretty much a Gentile audience. That's us. We are the effects of Paul's willingness to keep going and to not quit and those who followed after him. And at the end, they took Paul before Emperor Nero. He would bring a prisoner before the emperor and he would hold his fist out, straighten his thumb, And he would give his decision. Is it going to be thumbs up he lives? Is it going to be thumbs down? And they brought Paul before Nero. And finally, they had enough. And thumbs down. And they took this man out and they killed him. They killed him. And most scholars think that after he was killed, he was probably dragged to the dump. And what remained of him was left there. And then dogs would come along as they did in the area. And they would eat and dispose of what was left. And here's what's interesting. Today, today we name our dogs Nero. We name our sons Paul. How about that? See, Paul could endure anything because salvation was worth everything. And it still is. It still is. And yeah, but that was Paul. See, Paul was an apostle. And we like to put Paul way up here on a pedestal, which he never wanted. He never aspired to. And so we must not. We cannot look at Paul and say, we can't live like that. The bar's too high. But see, you would do what he did if you saw what he saw. If you lived through what he lived through, then perhaps our faith, our faith would live what his faith lived. See, when your world's been rocked and your paradigm's been shifted by the blinding reality of Jesus, you don't go back to the same old, same old. You cannot. And so maybe what we need most of all this morning is to invite an interruption into our life and to ask God for a new encounter with Jesus. Do you see your life 
and what you're doing with it as purposeful. Purposeful for the kingdom of God. Because I tell you, God does. He sees it that way. Whether or not you're allowing Him to use it, He sees the possibility. And He sees the potential. You are His vessel. That He is entrusted with this message. Six degrees of separation is a theory. But here's the reality. There is no separation when we live in Christ Jesus. We are all connected. And one day we will all bow before the throne of the Lamb. So this morning, this morning, are you allowing God to use you, to use your life as a vessel through which this message of Jesus Christ, the message of His Son, who before time, God decided when He created us, when He formed us from the dust of the earth, from the rib from the man, that God knew before He even decided to do that, that His Son was going to come to this earth one day. And His Son was going to die at the hands of the very creation that God was making happen. Because of the creation that God was making happen. It's no mistake. It was a plan. God's purpose, His internal intent was that what He created, who He created would be with Him for eternity. And he yet He knew that because He was creating us as human, the only way that we could be with Him for eternity was if He made it possible. And He did that because sin, sin is what makes it impossible. But through Jesus Christ, with man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of that sin. We can receive God's Spirit and we can receive the promise, the guarantee of that eternal life that God has had planned for us since before He created us. But this morning, perhaps there is some sin in your life that's keeping you from being the vessel that God has called you to be. That you intended to be when you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And when you were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. God calls you back today. He calls you to repent. Confess that sin. Repent of it. And receive His forgiveness. And as we gather this morning, we can pray with you and for you. As vessels ourselves, cracked, dusty, needing that same forgiveness. And if you're not a child of God, God is ready to remove the scales from your eyes so that you can see clearly that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. And this morning you can do that. Be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and become a child of God. So as we stand and sing a song to encourage us, how are you allowing God to use you? Where do and how do you see your life for God's eternal purpose? Will you come as we stand and sing?